chapter 11 uh, tonight. I, I do have a, a praise report. I know a lot of you've been uh, praying for Vasilios, and and on Monday they found out that he is, um, well, you can shout it out, right? You can say it really loud. You're, you're what? You're cancer-free. Isn't that amazing? It, uh, uh, I, yeah, I know he appreciates your prayers, especially Maravel, and and it's uh, uh, really amazing how we have so many people that uh, come around those that are in need, come around those that uh, that are are in need of healing, and um, it it just to get to see uh, Vasilios's joy and his his love for uh, the Lord, and the Lord is uh, keeping him here longer, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. Hosea chapter 11, hopefully we'll be able to, to finish the book of Hosea uh, tonight. We're going to read the first four verses, and, and you're going to hear some verses, especially in this last part, uh, that are prophetic toward the Messiah, prophetic toward uh, Jesus Christ. In fact, this very first verse, you probably hear this every single Christmas, and you probably wonder, where is that from? We're going to read it tonight, where it's from exactly. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, it says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to graven images. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. So, Father, tonight as we come off these amazing songs, our, our hearts are lifted up. We're, we're, we're joyfully worshiping you, understanding that your affections are great toward us, that we are undeserved of your mercy and grace, and yet you came to this earth for us to die so that we could have eternal life with you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom tonight, especially as we approach this little red section in the Bible, these the sections that are profound for the rest of the Bible, but Many times we ourselves don't know where they come from or even, even what they mean. And so, Lord, as we approach your word tonight, I ask you open up our eyes, prepare our hearts, Lord. Thank you for these, my friends and my family. I ask you bless them tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is one of those sections, especially as the close of the book of Hosea, and as we've been going through these these minor prophets, these minor prophets that are major in terms of their scope. This is the second largest of those uh, minor uh, prophets. And as we come to this section, uh, we read this very first verse. And, and again, you probably heard this every single Christmas. In fact, it comes from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it says, Now when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. 
for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother, and while it was still night, and departed for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod, in order that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Quoting all the way back to this book that we're studying tonight in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, now the importance of this is, as with every single prophecy, they all had to be fulfilled 100%. And, and so, as we look back to the book of Hosea, and remember there had been persecution during the time of uh, Jesus' birth up until the age of two, when Herod had got this message from the wise man, remember? They came, and, and what did Herod want from the wise men? All you got to do is tell me where he's at so I can go and uh, worship him too. And, and then, of course, God came to the wise men in a dream and told them to go a different direction, right? We, we read this every single year. But this portion here is prophetic in terms of the fact that God had already claimed and already prophesied the outcome all the way back in Hosea. Where, where did God tell Joseph to go to during the persecution of those males that were two years and younger? Go to Egypt. Th this had already been planned out all the way back in Hosea. The, the fulfillment of prophecy that, that Joseph would then take that, that young boy, as it calls him here, a, a, a child, that two-year-old boy to Egypt and, and then stay there for an amount of time. By the way, this is the last time we see Joseph in the Bible. This is the last responsibility that Joseph has protecting his son or his, you know, stepson, Jesus this responsibility that, we, that he has to raise this child for God. And, and then to go all the way back to the book of Hosea and understand it in the context of unfaithfulness. What had the northern kingdom of Israel done to their God? Rejected. Been unfaithful to him. Play, played the harlot and the prostitute, as we've read multiple times in this uh, book. But then it continues on there in verse 2, and it explains why this must take place. Who is the one that is going to bend down and faithfully love his children? It's going to be God. In fact, that's exactly what it says in the next three verses. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the balls, and they burned incense to graven images. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Oh, how great is the Lord's affections toward us. Even when we don't 
see them or even when we don't acknowledge them, does God is God still faithful? And thank God one day in heaven, we'll get to see all the things that God has done for us. The, the way that he has protected us and provide for us. And as this verse here says, even healed us miraculously in ways that we didn't even know in ourselves. And God was just faithful, faithful, faithful. But even more so in verse four, I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love. Wow. The, the, the ring or you know, those cords that God literally puts upon us in our times of need to bring us to a place of, as we see here, humility in his love. Look at how God humbled himself. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from the jaws. I bent down and fed them. Who is the one that left heaven for us? Who bent down to this world for us? Only God would do that. We, we might, as the Bible says, you know, might, might die for our friend, but who did Christ humble himself for? His enemy. For us, sinners. Those that were undeserved of his grace and his mercy. Verse 5, it continues on, and they will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king because they refuse to return to me. And the sword they whirl against their cities and will consume their gate bars and devour them because of their counsels. So my people are hung up on turning from me. Though they call them to the, high, to the one on high, none at all exalts him. It's all lip service. It's the unfaithfulness of a nation against a faithful God. And we've, we've been seeing this all throughout uh, the book of Hosea. What is that synonym for the northern kingdom of Israel that we've been reading over and over and over again? This word Ephraim, synonymous with northern kingdom of Israel, where all the northern kingdoms came, or the kings came from, the very capital itself, Samaria in Ephraim. And now what have they done with the God that loved them, that bent down to them, that was humble enough to come to this earth for them, the one who they turned from? But by the way, what does repentance mean? To turn. But what do you have to do uh, before you repent? You have to confess, but there, there's something that happens to the heart and the neck. Well, have you ever had a stiff neck before? <clears throat> By the way, the the you know the the euphemisms or the the nicknames for Israel was always stiff-necked people, right? How, how how can you turn if you have a stiff neck? You have to turn your whole body, right? Or, or your heart that is hard. How do you soften a hard heart, a calloused heart? With the, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, with the hammer of the word of the Lord. 
that that heart that needs to be pliable again, or that that heart that needs to be soft again. And, and then turning back to the Lord, repenting. Do you hear the cry in verse eight? How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Despite all their disobedience, despite all their unfaithfulness, despite all their disobedience against God, will God give up on them? Will God ever give up on his people? Will God ever give up on his children? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I give you over to be like Adma or, or to be like uh, Zeboim? By the way, these were two towns that were synonymous with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were the surrounding towns that were destroyed when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed as well. My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are stirred. Do you see the heart of God toward his people? And also toward you as well. I love the, the songs that we sang tonight, and hopefully your eyes teared up as well. Hopefully your heart was softened. It's a privilege as we worship the Lord, that preparation that we have. And hopefully, you, you know, the Lord's preparing your heart before you even come into this, you know, uh, building. But the privilege is as we worship the Lord that he, he softens our heart to the hearing of the word of God. It prepares us. I will not execute my burning anger. I, I will not make Ephraim a ruin again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Thank God. Thank God. Now, will there be a time of discipline for Israel? Yes, 100%. But it's because God loves them. Because God wants them to come back. In fact, they, they will come back We'll see that at the end of this book. They will walk after Yahweh. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares uh, the Lord. When the Israelites come back during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, it's not just the southern kingdom of Judah that comes back. It's all the tribe. It's all the tribe. Coming back again united in uh, Jerusalem. By the way, this, this term... He will roar like a lion. If you skip ahead uh, two books to the book of Amos, uh, which is uh, an amazing book, by the way, and, and actually was, was uh, prophetic during the same time as, as Hosea. Both of these prophets uh, lived during the same time to the same nation of Israel. The, the theme of the book of Hosea is God is a lion. God is a lion. And he roars. Now, you could have two different, um, you know, results to a roaring lion. A, a roaring lion can have multiple effects, especially if you are an enemy or prey, or if you're a child. I've used this illustration many, many times. I love it. 
Have you ever seen a nature show where the little cub is crawling on his daddy's back or chewing on his daddy's ear or chewing on the lion's tail? The lion roars. Every single animal on the savannah runs. Except for a little cub. Why? What's, what's the difference? It's the same roar, but a different result. Why? The cub is the child of the king. Everything else is prey. Everything else is food, right? Same thing here. We see the result, and we're going to see the example of this in verse 12. Ephraim surrounds me with lies in the house of Israel, with deceit, and Judah is also unruly against his God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Despite all of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel, how does Israel treat their God? With deceit, with lies. With a heart that is black against their God. But by the way, Israel, the, the man Israel, had a name before he became Israel. You know that, right? That there was Abraham, right? Then there was Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons. Twins, by the way, remember? And one of those sons was named... Jacob. In fact, this whole next chapter, chapter 12, is dedicated to the story of why Jacob was the deceiver. In fact, his, his very name means heel grabber or deceiver. In fact, verses 1 through 3, we'll read all three verses and we'll see this. In chapter 12, Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He abounds in falsehood and destruction. Moreover, he cuts a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt, and Yahweh has contention with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will cause everything to return to him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. In his maturity, he wrestled with. In fact, Jacob's whole life was all about deceit. Who, who did he deceive from the very beginning? Grabbing his brother, his twin brother's heel, by the way. Esau, being the oldest of the brothers, should have received the birthright. And what did Jacob do by selling a you know, just a little bowl of beans to his brother. All you got to do is give me your birthright. De deceiving his own brother. And then who else did he deceive later on? His dad. Remember, he went to Isaac, his father, and pretended to be his older brother by, by putting on uh, the, that sheep uh, wool and then putting on his own older brother's clothes and, and then having to bring a meal, pretending that he was Esau in order to get the blessing. 
I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 25, verses 24 to 26. And in her days to give birth were fulfilled, and behold, there were twins in her womb. This is Rebekah, the wife of Isaac. And the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Right, can you imagine this baby coming out? You know, the Bible describes it very, very uh, graphically, very, very clearly. He, he looked like a little hairy carpet that was red, right? Covered in fur, right? And, and, and Esau grew up, of course, to be the hunter, the one that would go out. He loved the outdoors. He would always go and, and bring back prey. And, and who was the one out of the two parents that loved Esau? It was Jacob. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. Who was the one that loved Jacob? His mother, Rebekah. The Bible describes that Jacob loved to stay at home, loved to do the various things around the home. He was a good, good cook, as we, we see later on in the story. But his life was all about deceit. In fact, after he left, after his brother had threatened to kill him, after his twin brother, the one who was the hunter, who threatened to kill him, where did he go? To his uncle Laban. And what happened to him there? Again, surrounded by deceit, what you sow, you reap. What happened to him? Oh, I love your daughter. I, I love it. He is, she is so beautiful, right? All you got to do is work for me for seven years. I'll give you my daughter, right? And then, of course, on the wedding night, she, he lifts the veil, and who does he see? The cross-eyed one. Leah, right? No, all you got to do now is just work for me a, a, another seven years. This is how we do things around here, right? That This is our, you know, customs. We always make sure the, the oldest one is married first. Didn't you know that? So he works another seven years. In fact, the total of time that Jacob worked for his uncle Laban was actually 20 years it wasn't just for the wives that there was deceit. Even, even the, the sheep, there was deceit in that too. His whole life was, was you know, governed by getting, trying to get the upper hand. It was always deceit, deceit, deceit. His name, the very definition of who Jacob was, was deceit. In fact, if you skip ahead to uh, the New Testament where Jesus is looking for certain of his disciples, he comes to a guy by the name of Nathaniel, and he, he says, you know, this amazing phrase, uh, you know, uh, is there any, you know, person that is without deceit in Galilee or in Israel? Because they were known for deceit. In fact, even today, is it hard to get an upper hand on a Jewish person in terms of a deal? Why? Because they know how to, you know, finagle a deal, right? To get the upper hand. 
But his name was changed, thank God. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. This is after he's come back from his uncle Laban. He has come back to his own homeland, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn. And he saw that he had not prevailed against him, so he touched the socket of his thigh. And though so the sake, the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And, and he says this word, Jacob, that means deceit. My name means deceit. My whole life has been deceit. It's all about grabbing the other person and trying to get the upper hand. My brother, my dad, my uncle. Verse 28. Then he said, and by the way, this is God. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. From that point on, his life changes. No longer a life of deceit, but now as we see the definition of the word, and thank God the scriptures actually tell us the definition of this word Israel. We don't have to actually look it up in a dictionary. It says, for you have striven with God and with man and have... Um, prevail. Israel means strive with God. Strive with God. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. By the way, God's not going to give his name until the time of Moses. Okay. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. This person who was known for deceit, for himself being deceived, now comes face to face with God and receives mercy and grace. A, a, a nation will come from him that despite their unfaithfulness to God, God will remain faithful and will always keep his promises. In fact, this very promise that he gives, and the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. But by the way, you know, if you've ever had a, you know, especially a hip out of socket or, or some sort of a, uh, you know, uh, a socket joint out of socket, whether it's a shoulder or whatever, you, you know how even after it's put back in, it's very, very painful because what happens to those muscles and ligaments around it? They're stretched. So he's limping on his socket. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Even the parts of the animal that they eat a reminder of what God had done for them as a nation. Isn't that amazing? Going back to Hosea chapter 12, verse 5. Even Yahweh, the God of hosts, Yahweh is his name of remembrance. Therefore, return to your God. Keep loving kindness and justice and hope in your God continually. 
exactly what we sang tonight. A merchant in whose hands are deceptive balances. He loves to oppress. By the way, again, a definition of the Israelites or the people from the descendants of, of Jacob trying to always get the upper hand in uh, deals. And Ephraim said, surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They will find in me no iniquity, which would be sin. By the way, who was the one not only to give give Israel the benefit of having uh, uh, the wisdom to be able to do this, but who was the one that actually provided for Israel? God, from the very beginning. Did they have to deceive people to get the upper hand? No, they don't. God blesses them no matter what. In fact, that's exactly what it says in verse 9. But I have been Yahweh your God since the land of Egypt. I will make you settle in tents again as in the days of the appointed festival. And I have spoken to the prophets and I made visions about. And by the hand of the prophets, I gave parables. By the way, the very first verse that we read tonight is a prophetic verse. And where does it point to? The Messiah. The Messiah. Verse 11, is there wickedness in Gilead? Surely they are worthless. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Yes, their altars are like the stone heaps beside the furrows of the field. Now Jacob fled the field of Aram, and Israel worked for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. And again, you can read this in uh, Genesis chapter 25 to 32. We only read the bookends, but you can re read the rest of the story if you want to. But by a prophet, Yahweh brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was kept. Ephraim has provoked to bitter anger, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and cause his reproach to return to him. Who was the one that freed Israel from Egypt? From the very beginning, who was it? And by the way, that was a promise that God had given to the people of Israel. Just like he's going to promise that they're going to come back to the land, God had promised to bring them out of Egypt. Chapter 13, verse 1, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He lifted himself up to, in Israel, but through Baal he became guilty and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols made from their silver according to their understanding, all of them the work of craftsmen. Uh, they are saying to them, let the man who sacrificed kiss the calves. Remember, we, we learned about this two weeks ago where the, the northern king, Jeroboam, uh, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, had made two calves that were golden, hearkening all the way back to when Aaron himself had made a, a calf. And what do they do with these calves? It says it right there. It's kind of, um, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I always love it when you watch a commercial or, or uh, a show or something like that. And, 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 you know, especially with dogs or cats, you know, the, 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 the owners, you know, some people are very repulsed by this, but some people love it where they kiss their animals or their animals kiss them, right? 
You see this big slobbering dog with the saliva dripping, you know, yeah. They're, they're kissing the calves. They're, they're kissing these golden calves that they're calling their gods that are just inanimate objects made with human hands. Who was the one that gave them the wisdom to be able to do that? Who was the one that gave them the ability to be able to do that? It's the living God. These are just dead gods. Therefore, they will be like the morning cloud and like dew, which soon disappears, like, like chaff, which is blown away from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. It's all temporary. It's all temporary. Yet I've been Yahweh, your God, since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me. And there is no Savior beside me. I myself knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, as they had their pasture, and they became satisfied. Indeed, they were satisfied, and their heart became raised up. Therefore, they forgot me. In their time of need, and maybe you can relate to this, in their time of need, they, they reached out, they cried out to God. But as soon as God blessed them or provided for them, what happened to their heart? Went away. Forgot God. They forgot what God had done for them. Verse 7, so I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open the chest, enclosing their heart. I will also devour them like a lioness, as a beast of the field would rip them open. Now what are they in relation to the lion? Pray. That's scary. In fact, uh, starting in 722 BC, when the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel, is conquered by Assyria until the time that they come back, uh, uh, you know, when they come back to the land, uh, God is going to be disciplining his people. And then, of course, in 586 BC, when the southern kingdom of Judah is conquered by Babylon, they too will be in the land for 70 years, in a foreign country for 70 years. But will God remember his promises, despite the fact that he disciplines his children? Yes, he does. But by, by the way, look, look at the pictures here. The, the, the shepherd has turned into a predator and the healer has turned into a destroyer. What, what, what is it like to, you know, be on the receiving end of the wrath of God? And, and by, this is only temporary consequences. This is only earthly consequences, by the way. It, it's even magnified greater in terms of eternity. Because what happens when I have to bear the full wrath of God myself for my sin? Would, would anyone ever want to do that? No, of course not. We think, well, I, I can somehow outweigh my sins or, or do good things to overcome my sins. or, or so I, I can't even pay for one of my sins. Neither can you. Who's the only one that can do that? It's Jesus Christ. It's the one that we saw from the very beginning of this, this study, the one that is prophesied to come. Verse 9, it is your ruin, O Israel. 
that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king, that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you said, give me a king and princes. I, I gave you a king on my anchor and took him away in my wrath. Who was supposed to be the one that was the leader of all of Israel? It was God. And yes, God always redeems what we choose in terms of our wants and the things that we go against God. But God didn't want them to have a king from the very beginning because who was their king? Who is the king of kings? God is. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him. He is not a wise son. For it is not the time that he should delay in the opening of the, the womb. You see, the nation's failure to repent is compared to a baby uh, that is not positioned properly during labor. Well, what, what happens when, you know, there's a breach birth or, or something? Of course, this is, you know, pre-C-sections. Um, but what happens? Who, who's at jeopardy? Not, not just the baby, but both. The mother and the baby are um, in jeopardy. Both of them can die. Verse 14, shall I ransom them from the power of Shoal? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Shoal, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from your sight. I bet you've heard that verse before too. Wow, two verses in one night. Isn't that amazing? Uh, again, where have you heard that verse before? You read it in the New Testament, and, and you know, it's always in this, you know, uh, a different font, you know, in terms of, of having been taken from an Old Testament verse. This verse is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. I'm going to read the, the whole section here the whole paragraph for you just to get the context but it goes all the way back to the book of hosea okay where does this verse come from behold i tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed this is talking about the rapture when God comes, Jesus comes, we rapture up. Who's going to go first, by the way? It's not going to be the living. It's going to be the dead, right? They get to go up first, okay? You know, so those people that you know that are, are Christians and have died in the past, guess what? They're going to beat you there. We already knew that. We already know that. But we're going to get caught up in the air, as it says in the very next verse. But when this incorruptible puts on the incorruptible, or this corruptible puts on the incorruptible, and this mortal puts on immortality, our bodies are literally changed, no longer temporary bodies, thank God. We, we get new bodies, thank God. And then will come about the word which is written this verse that is quoted from Hosea, not just going to the time when Jesus defeats a death, but when we ourselves, our bodies, 
that are temporary, that are corruptible, that are filled with, you know, sickness and diseases will become incorruptible and immortal. Then the saying will come true. This is speaking about the end times. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your thing? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And it's all because of the faithfulness of God, by the way. Now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, and hopefully you agree with this, I know you do, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Prophetic, prophetic, looking forward to what God would do for us. Hosea chapter 13, verse 15, though he is fruitful among the reeds, an east wind will come. The wind of Yahweh coming up from the wilderness and his fountain will become dry. His springs will be dried up. It will, be plun it will plunder his treasury of every desirable article. Samaria will be held guilty. This is the capital of the northern kingdom. For she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Isn't that very graphic? Scary. What happens to a hard heart, stiff-necked, unrepentant people that go against the God that loves them? Thank God Hosea doesn't end there, by the way. There's one more chapter. And just like Hosea's life, there's hope. Just like Hosea's marriage, there is hope, thank God. Just like our lives, there is hope. And it always comes from a faithful God. The cry goes out in chapter 14, Return, O Israel, to Yahweh your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. T take words with you. Return to Yahweh. Do you hear the cry? And Hosea literally living this out in his own life. Remember, Hosea is the most detailed of all the prophets, including the major ones, about his, his personal life. We know his, his wife's name. We know all of his kids' names. We know a very detailed portion of what happened in his own life as a prophet, his wife being unfaithful to him and being a prostitute with those even in his own city. And him having to go and buy his wife back. Isn't that scary? Now God is saying the same thing about Israel. Come back, come back. Say to him, forgive all iniquity and take what is good that we may pay in full the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses nor will we say again, O oh, our God, in the work of our hands, for in you the orphan finds compassion. Who does God reach out? The rejected, the parentless. You see, repentance is romantic. In fact, this book is one of the most romantic books in the entire Bible. Because it's not about, you know, two virgins falling in love with one another. It's about a, a broken marriage that's restored. It's about someone who is, has used up their life and given themselves away over and over and over again in unfaithfulness and someone reaching out to them and wooing them back and loving them instead. 
This is the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the romance of God toward us. Forgiveness shows us the futility of our own works. Forgiveness shows us the futility of our own works. What happens when we're forgiven? Specifically by God. But what happens when we're forgiven? All those things that I tried to, to make up and try to get you to forgive me or get God to forgive me, what are they? They're just futile, right? They, they, they mean nothing. It's only when God forgives us that there's meaning in life. I love this chapter. I will heal their turning away from me. By, by the way, again, referring to Jacob, a heel turner. I, I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Will God ever be angry with us forever? No. It will be like dew to Israel. He will flourish like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. Something that is dead is now restored to life. And not, not just any life, but beautiful life, strong life. What does a lily look like, by the way? What does a lily look like? It's beautiful, right? Especially around springtime when all those, those flowers, those lilies come out, whether it's a, a water lily or, or whether it's a lily that comes from a bulb in your garden. They're, they're beautiful, vibrant colors. They, they, they signify life. Or this other plant, the cedars of Lebanon. What does a cedar look like? It's not a little tree. It's huge. It's massive. It's powerful. It's alive. Verse 6, his shoots will go forth. His splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. These things that are alive and beautiful and, and full of life in itself. Fragrance, beauty. All your senses are are, you know, literally, you know, uh, overcome with these fragrances, these sensations. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain and they will flourish like the vine. His name of remembrance will be like the wine of Lebanon. Does God always remember? And what does he always remember? His promise. His promise. We forget. He remembers. But what does God forget? And thank God for this too, by the way. Sin. He remembers his promises. Forgets our sins. We we do the opposite, by the way. You know that, you know that, right? What what do and and many times it's you know, after we become a Christian, Satan comes and, you know, reminds us of our sins, right? Those things, they come back to our mind, you know, and they, they hinder us many times. We need to imitate God. What does God tell us to do? Remember his promises. How, how far is our sin separated? Does God even know or remember them? As far as the east is from the west. Buried them in the deepest of the sea, right? His forgiveness is amazing. Verses 8 and 9. It's amazing, by the way, we finished this book. I, I told you these books are quick. 
I told you the when you'll skip a, a week or you'll miss a session and, and boom, it's gone. Especially the next couple of, of books, the, the minor profits are very, very short, very, very small. Oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. Idols are dead. God is alive. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. What can idols grow? Nothing. It, it's, a, it's a dead piece of wood or it's a dead piece of metal. Can that piece of wood grow any more limbs? No. It's dead. But God gives us life. Last verse of Hosea. This is the question I leave you with. This is the question that you can even answer for yourself. I know the answer for many of you. Whoever is wise, so let him discern these things. This is what God is asking, not just the nation of Israel, not, not just written some you know, 2,700 years ago, but even for us today, this is just as applicable today as when it was written. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the righteous will walk in them. What defines a follower of God? They put their footsteps in his steps, right? A, a Christian, by definition, is a person who is a little Christ or, or imitates Christ or is Christ-like. It, it's those things that I do in the name of Christ. But the opposite is also true, the very last phrase here, but transgressors will stumble in them. You see, God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people always brings us to the place of maturity in our spiritual walk. We won't ask, well, how far can I get away with my sin? Or, or how far can I push grace? No, thank God that he forgives all of our sins. But, but a person who loves God would never ask the question, how many sins can I get away with? Like that shows immaturity. Rather than asking how unfaithful or sinful can I be before God, we should rather want to imitate God's faithfulness and holiness. This defines our maturity in Christ. How, how can I be more like God? So when those unfaithful people come into your life, like the Gomers, or, or those people that have betrayed you, or, or those people that, you know, you know, kind of rub you the wrong way or make your blood boil, or, or you know what they're going to ask before they even ask it, and they know that they're not going to repay it, and that they're not going to be faithful themselves. God whispers to you, be like me to them. Because what did God do for you? And how many times does he do it? 
How many times has God forgiven you? More than 70 times 7, by the way. He forgives us over and over and over and over and over again. So hopefully as you've gone, as we walk through this amazing book of Hosea, you've seen a, a deeper perspective on the faithfulness of God. How faithful is God? I mean, that it's overwhelming the faithfulness of God to an unfaithful people. God is always faithful uh, to us. Next week, we'll be picking it up in the next book, which is the book of Joel, uh, only uh, four chapters. And uh, again, a very small uh, book. It's going to be talking about the day of the Lord and how important uh, the day of the Lord is. So uh, hopefully you'll join us. We'll, we'll be, in those of you that are online that are watching, uh, as we pick up this next book. And also next week is the first Wednesday of the month, so that means that we get to have communion uh, as well. So I'm looking forward to be having communion uh, with you. So, Father, as we close this book of Hosea, this book that means salvation, the very definition of salvation, this, this term for uh, faithfulness that you come, you are always faithful to us. Your love for us is deeper than any human emotion or any human attachment. Your faithfulness to us is, is deeper and more affectionate than any human faithfulness. It's always for your glory and our good. So, Lord, as we reflect on these things, help us not to forget this book or, or forget what we've learned, but instead help us to remember, as we ended this book, the, this name of remembrance, remember that you are faithful to us. You bring salvation to us that is greater than anything that we deserve. Your grace and your mercy is overwhelming your faithfulness to an unfaithful people. And then help us to share that with those around us, Lord. I ask you bless these, my friends and my family. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you.